Small Fortune listeners, thanks for joining us again today. We have a fun conversation. I invited Michelle Muth Osborne to join me. She is a partner in BPM, a public accounting firm, fairly large, a thousand plus employees. She's in the Santa Rosa office and she manages a number of different industries, but including the wine space. And so she and I met at a wine industry event a number of years ago. The recent, rather than talking about the content of the conversation is bring up something that we don't talk about, which is business development. And the reason that Michelle is on my new little podcast today is because she's a good business developer. And I just wanted to touch on that a little bit. To be successful in most financial services businesses, what really separates the men from the boys, so to speak, is the ability to go out and get new business and bring it to the firm. And sales is something that from the outside looking in appears like something you can only do if you're a natural networker, if you're natural self-promoter, if you're naturally outgoing. And I just want to say that I'm none of those, but I have done well enough in business development over the years because it's it's actually just a very simple discipline. And, uh, and Michelle definitely demonstrates that the first is you have to have the guts to make the first initial contact. So for example, Michelle coming up to me after I was speaking at some event, and then you have to have the discipline and the persistence to follow up, stay in touch. And it's that, it's just two simple steps. And it doesn't always work. There's obviously more to it and you're not always going to get the gig, but nothing much makes up more than those two things. Just make the approach and then follow up and wait for the opportunity to come. Most people don't move their business relationships, whether it's their accounting firm or a banker or all these different relationships until something crazy happens with the existing service provider. That's when you have your opportunity. And if you're there and have been there, you're in a position to have a shot at getting the business. So I do want to encourage people to think about learning sales. It's just not that difficult and you don't have to be a natural people person to pull it off. So there's that. And of course, accounting is extremely important. Enjoy this conversation. Small fortune listeners, thank you for tuning in today. We are speaking with Michelle Muth Osborne from BPM. She is a partner in a very large accounting firm, which is extremely impressive. I, a thousand employees or some crazy thing. And she is based in our community in Santa Rosa and in the wine business and other other businesses. And I invited her here today so that we could talk about the why it's fun and why everybody should go into public accounting. I think that is the goal. So when we're done here, you guys will be getting lots of resumes. So Michelle, you want to start by telling us a bit about BPM? Yeah, great. Thank you so much for having me, Carol. It's an honor to be invited to be on your podcast. But yeah, I'll give you a little background on BPM. We're a full service accounting firm. So we do assurance, tax and advisory for a lot of different industries. Um, Our largest industries are probably technology and consumer products. And I focus in the wine and agriculture and consumer product space. We are, the firm's been around since 1986. It was started by three men who left the big four, Burr, Pilger, and Mayer, as we were formerly known. 
And they wanted to create a firm that was more entrepreneurial and, and they did just that. And so over the last almost 40 years, the firm has grown to be, as you mentioned, over a thousand employees in almost every state here in the U.S. And we do have offices in India. We have colleagues in the Philippines and Canada and a few other places. So it's become what I would consider a global firm. Wow, that is impressive. Are you still able to stay entrepreneurial? That yeah, size? yeah. I think one of the reasons that I came to this firm 12 years ago was because it was it because it was an entrepreneurial firm and it was very flexible and nimble. And I think that we've been able to retain that as best as we can, given our size. So we still focus on our clients and being responsive and entrepreneurial. And it, it, it does get harder, but that's the core of who we were when the firm was formed. And I think that's still with us today. Yeah, I do think that there are there is corporate culture that that, that comes along <laughs> over time and sustains over time. So that makes a ton of sense. I think you're right. And I think working in this industry, in this community here in Napa, Sonoma and the North Bay, it's a little bit easier for us to maintain that culture just because of the nature of the industry that we're working in. Yes, that makes a ton of sense. In my interview with Tim Allen, our mutual friend, which was like, I think my second interview I did, I mentioned to him, because we were talking about the fact that it's difficult to recruit and getting quality people and not as many people are training for the C you know, CPA um, and accounting careers. I mentioned to him that, and it's true that if I meet a young person who's going into college and they haven't chosen a major, <laughs> I very it's happened only a couple of times, but I say, hey, man, accounting, because you get a looks into a lot of industries. Maybe it makes sense for you to stay if you really enjoy the public accounting, but you can also has, have an opportunity to look across a number of different industries, find something that appeals and move into it. And frankly, I would have probably majored in accounting in college myself, except I went to UCLA and they didn't have a business they didn't have a business group, whatever. I had to take economics to touch business at all. Yeah, and then it was yeah. like all calculus. It was really rotten. Yeah, yeah. I really <laughs> Anyway, so I didn't get the training in accounting. In accounting, I got a little bit of it. Now, when you, how did you decide? Like, what was this path by which you, did you get a degree in accounting? What was appealing to you? And why did you decide to go into that field? Uh, yeah, a couple things come to mind. So I'm a very practical person and I was also really good at math. So naturally, I think teachers and mentors directed me to that to that career. But I remember a couple things. One, when I was a teenager, my dad started his own business. He was owner and operator of a heavy equipment hauling heavy haul business. Wow. And my brother and I were the first in our family to go to college. But he came home one day after meeting with his CPA as a new business owner and said, you should really go into accounting. My CPA only works four months a year. And based on what I pay him, I think he makes a pretty good living. So obviously, none of that is it's not yeah, entirely. Yeah, BPM is not putting four months of a year on, on offer as a way to pursue. <laughs> No, and that's perfectly fine with me, but oh, that kind of stuck with me. And then we had a family friend who had gone to um, St. Mary's College where I went to school and she majored in accounting and she had like multiple job offers by the time she graduated. And so I, looking ahead, thought, okay, what can I do where I'll get a job and in something that I enjoy? And that's where, that's what led me to accounting. And so by Christmas of my senior year, I had a job offer with an accounting firm to start the following August. 
So I felt really good when I graduated. I took the summer off. I went to Europe. I did the whole hostel thing and came back and had a great job lined up in the Bay Area. Oh, my God, that is a marvelous story. And I know my son looked at St. Mary's. And one of the things that I noticed at the time is how very good they are at finding there's a shout out yeah. to St. Mary's. Yeah. And listen up, kids, because that's the reason to get an accounting degree right there. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you don't have to committing to a lifetime of accounting, but you're getting a great start. Yeah, you're not committing. And at the time, I I liked the courses. I liked what I knew about it. I wasn't sure where my the direction that my career would go, but I knew that the path was join a public accounting firm, get your audit hours, get your CPA license. And then the doors will open. And I just happened to enjoy it so much that I stayed in the field. Yeah. And tell us about that CPA exam. How awful is it? Oh, yuck. <laughs> I don't know. <I've... laughs> it's tough. It is. It's. It was a long time ago. I tried to block it from it's my like memory childbirth, a bit. right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. <laughs> yeah, it's tough. I think it's obviously passable with you got to put the time in. There's a lot of support. Most of the firms offer financial support for review courses and like bonuses when you pass and that sort of thing. My experience was I was done with school. And so I didn't immediately start studying for the exam. I waited a couple years and then I got busy at work and then it became harder to prioritize. So my advice for the young people is graduate, pass your CPA exam early in your career. But yeah, it's a bear. I wouldn't want to do it again. For sure. <laughs> Excellent. But yeah. you did it. And then, but I did. Yeah. And it's a good feeling. It was, I remember the day I found out I passed the last part. It was, it was a very exciting day. I bet. And here you are, all these now. So, when did you start your accounting career? I know, never mind. I guess we're not really supposed to game out. You're a young <laughs> woman, so you can't be that. It was over 20 years ago. Okay. All <laughs> which right. Which is hard okay. to believe. Yeah. All right. And you love it enough that you, I, there must have been opportunities to move into CFO positions at some, at various points in your career or not. Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. And even I think what happens as you progress in the public accounting profession is you get your job changes over time. So when I first started, it's very much technical building, technical knowledge building. So learn everything you can get, you know, get that deep level of expertise. And then as you become a manager, you start training people and managing people and building relationships outside and you start getting involved in practice development. And so every time there's a promotion or a job changes, I think people naturally reflect on, do I like this part of the job? So I've been promoted to the next level. Do I still enjoy, you know, the new responsibilities I have? I, as I moved up the ranks, I started to enjoy it more because it was more focused on like the business as a whole and Mm. the relationship building part of it. So I do all aspects of it. Every time there was something new, I thought, okay, do I like this? Is this something I want to continue doing? But ultimately, the reason that I'm still here today is because there is a ton of variety in what I do. I've worked with hundreds of different companies, small, large, everything in between public, private, a number of different industries. Early in my career, I did, you know, quite a bit more manufacturing and nonprofit. It's just always interesting. I don't get bored. And I know many CFOs who would say, I don't get bored, right? There's always something to do, but I just like the variety. Yeah. And I think there's a lot to be said. Everybody's wired differently, but I, for myself, both previously as a commercial banker and now doing what I do like that, 
variety of looking at different things, cross-pollinating the things you learn in this industry or with this company, you can apply that to the next client. So just building your value for your clients over time, just through, through experience. Favorite client, worst client, what does that look like? Yeah, don't oh, have to name names. I know list. I don't. And I <laughs> tell us a story. They're all my they're all my favorite. Gosh, they're all so different. I've been asked this question before. And I think again, I'll probably be a little boring and speak on more general terms, but you know, what I would consider a best client is someone who really values the relationship as much as I do. So it's Oftentimes, we are looked at as a, on the audit side, the necessary evil, right? This is, we have to get an audit because we're either a public company or because we have bank financing and our loan documents require it. But there's really a lot of value in getting an audit outside of just the main compliance piece. And so I think we really try to change that perception. And so for a client who sees the value in that and having someone come in and take a look at things and provide feedback on processes and controls and accounting and as a as a resource i think is really can be really valuable and really help improve the relationship so though i love those clients that really see that value that want to meet with us that call us when they have problems or questions that respect and trust us and that we respect and trust and that are proactive with the relationship. So those are the ones that are most enjoyable for me and the team that works for them. Sure, sure. They feel like, hey, we're out here doing an audit. The team appreciates what we're doing. I'm going to try to get you to answer something specifically. What was the craziest thing you ever uncovered in an audit? Oh, so I don't really have any like really juicy stories. Oh, you have I mean, all perfect clients. I've had clients where we've had like a hundred adjusting journal entries, which is not something to strive for. <laughs> that number <laughs> should be low. I've seen a little bit of fraud. Okay, um, sure. That's well, a huge reason to have an audit or a controller yeah, or yeah, both. Yeah. Because you know? guess what? Yeah. People, as my dear old dad likes to say, people are no damn good. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And we're not, we don't, verify. a disclaimer, we plan or perform audits to identify fraud, but we do of see it. Not. And sometimes clients find it themselves before we even come out if they're preparing for the audit. But we've seen like maybe some shoddy accounting here and there or mistakes, but I don't think I've yeah. ever seen anything super. That would be fun though, right? <laughs> Exciting. Wow. Yeah. No, and and I, got... part, I think part of the reason is we do, when we take on new clients, we have a pretty extensive client acceptance process. There you so, go. Yeah. So we, we obviously have to keep ourselves and the firm safe and we're selective in that way and All right. do a little bit of homework. Yeah. 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 Okay. I got you. That makes yeah. a ton of sense. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I guess at the BPM level, yeah, you're scrubbing away this kind of sketchy customers. But for those of us listening, you you can rest assured that Michelle and BPM will keep your secrets safe. <laughs> I, can't, I have tried to get her to dish on somebody, but no such luck. But that's, that's no, great. That's Carol. what you want. You want discretion. I will tell you this funny story that Vic Motto told me without naming names about the competing firm. But Vic started, we, we our little firm, Global White Partners came out of MKF, which is a 
account, major accounting firm in the wine business a while ago, yeah. acquired by Rimmerman. When Vic came out to start the firm in this town of St. Helena, in which we have our office, there was a competing smaller firm that one day he was walking down the street and there was a big plastic garbage bag ready for the garbage guy to pick it up. And it was full of a client's financial information. Oh, my goodness. And that's when he felt he probably had a competitive edge against these folks. Wow. Yeah. I know. I was in the Wild West in the mid-80s. Yeah, yeah. But and small firms are different than the the big ones like BPM. But yeah, interesting times. That that is, yeah, yeah. I have a hard time believing that would happen in today's environment. Partly because we're paperless. (laughs) That's right, um, paper. What's that? Yeah, yeah. Let's spend a few minutes talking about the wine business in particular. Is there any kind of, in your experience, things to do? not to do success, keys to success. What do you got for folks in the wine business? Yeah, I think as I alluded to earlier, I think it's just important not to make shortcuts. Call your advisors when you have questions. You never know where the industry is going to go. And I see a lot of, I get a lot of phone calls like, hey, we're, I think it's time for us to sell our business and have done nothing really to prepare themselves for that. So I think if you, it's like maintenance, right? If you do the daily maintenance, you'll Mm -hmm. be ready when the time comes or when an opportunity comes. Do the monthly accounting, do the quarterly accounting, call and ask the question ahead of time, get it right. Like it may seem like one example is you've probably heard about the new lease accounting standard. It was in the works for a long time. Explain it to me because I not sure yeah. So basically you have historically have had operating leases and capital leases go on your balance sheet and operating leases are not on your balance sheet. They're just, okay. So now so it's an le- expense. Yeah. Yeah. So expense. all now all leases essentially go on your balance sheet. So that was a big change. And we've had a few clients. I'll say, I don't think it's really that important. Can we just have a gap departure or can we just not do it? And mm-hmm. I think it's, In some cases, that might be okay, but I think what you really have to look at is, is there going to be a point in time when that's going to become more important, right? That you have everything dialed in without these like exceptions out there. Being in the business of selling wine companies, in in my experience, it is the case that people just wake up. The number of times I've had somebody ask me to help them prepare are... I can count on one hand. For the most part, people just wake up one morning and go, okay, I'm out. Let's go. Yeah. Yeah. And then, yeah, you're right. As you say, then, and then all these little things that you, decisions you made that were fine for you as an individual become problematic. And then, of course, there's so many people in the wine industry in particular have this fantasy that somebody's going to knock on the door someday and offer them crazy money. Mm-hmm. If you believe that's true, it, it happens occasionally, although I would argue almost never. It does pay off, <laughs> pay to be ready. You, really, yeah. from a standing start, you're going to get all your stuff together. It, on my side, it takes months of preparation. So if you're really locked and loaded and totally buttoned up, then you're better prepared to deal with the knock on the door. Yeah, it just it adds more credibility, I think. So even if you're, if you're looking for financing and you are you truly do have gap financial statements without all these one-off things out there i think that provides a lot more credibility for lenders right when they're looking at you and if you are interested in benchmarking yourself against 
another winery, that's why Gap exists, right? So it's generally accepted, right? So we're all on the same playing field. That would be my advice not to take shortcuts. And then the other thing is we do see a lot of companies, smaller companies on QuickBooks. We talked about this a little bit earlier, which is a fine accounting system for a small business. But I think there comes a point in time when that is not as as functional as it could be and thinking about well with everything it's like garbage in garbage out yeah but there's just so many things that technology can do and to help run your business that i think we just get in some of our old habits sometimes and we just continue doing things the way that we've always done them but there's a lot of tools and resources out there that can help streamline processes and provide more efficient and relevant data for you to make decisions yeah, no. And like I said, a number of times I've stepped into a business and they've been losing money on something with not even knowing it. Yeah. What is next for the wine business? Good and bad in terms of your line of work? Any new weird changes in accounting? The least thing? Is anybody do? Sorry, everybody. I have to ask about it. Is LIFO still allowed or no? Yes, it is it still is. allowed. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. That it is. I hate it. <laughs> <laughs> Because yeah, I got to, yeah, on my side, I got to unwind it to create the right, right. cash flow yeah, yeah. Ugh, and yeah. accounting. Very yeah. important, not my strongest suit. Yeah. What's coming so down what's, the pike? What's done, nothing on the gap and the financial statement side. And there's nothing significant at this current time. I can't, as I said, speak to tax. <laughs> got you. But I do think as the industry's changed a lot, there's a lot of consolidation still happening. So <laughs> we have, we see a lot of these mid-market wineries transitioning, either sure. selling or transitioning. But yeah. it's been a really great industry to work in. And if you're going to be an accountant or in finance, you know, what better industry to work in than oh, for sure. in the wine industry? Yeah. yeah. You get a lot of free wine or... No, we have independence <laughs> rules. <laughs> we do occasionally get a little bit of wine, and oh. but I, I try to buy client wine whenever we go out to lunch, or if I have something to get wine for. We. I love to hear that you have this very tight ethic, right? That's that's nice to know. As a banker, I was I would happily have taken a lot of free wine, but unfortunately, it really wasn't on offer. It was a disappointing part of that. <laughs> Oh, I don't get offered a lot of free wine. I no, mean, what is wrong with like, this hey, industry? It, it, it's okay. It's okay. We, we'll get an industry <laughs> discount here and there, which I yes, appreciate very much. Yeah. What lessons did you learn from your dad other than, hey, you should learn accounting about business ownership and entrepreneurship? Is there anything that you learned from him and that you see in your own clients again? And Yeah, he was... He was a very good business person and it, it, on a much on a small scale, really, because he, I think at the most had only two employees. But one of the reasons he was so successful was through the relation relationships that he built growing up in the industry. So he started driving trucks when he was about 16 years old. And that was his career. And so by the time he started his own business, he had already established a really strong network of people. And it's funny, I was thinking about this morning, when he started his business, one of the things he would do, he's probably if he hears this, he's going to hate me for sharing it, but he would leave his so he would haul a piece of heavy equipment to a construction site, for example, he would staple his business card to a little bag of peanuts. 
and leave it on the seat of the piece of equipment that he delivered. Nice. So that was like his little signature trademark. And he eventually stopped because of peanut allergies. But I just remember as a kid, we were all involved in the business. So my mom and my brother and I would would have to drive the pilot car, like when we were in high school and college, if he was hauling a big piece of equipment. And it was fun to be part of that. But just to see how such a small token of appreciation was really helpful in him solidifying some of those relationships. And it became a little bit of a trademark. So it, it taught me that the little things matter. Of course. Yeah. Lovely. And they do. They do. <laughs> yeah. They do. In relationship they management do. and everywhere else. Yeah. Yeah. Hi guys, Carol jumping in uh, here real quick for an explainer because uh, you've probably noticed this, but maybe not if we've pulled it off. We edit these and I want to give a shout out to John at Podbean for being my editor. Uh, it's almost always because I've made a, some terrible mistake. Uh, in this particular situation, I um, did have to cut some stuff for time. And then we also had this conversation that Michelle and I had after we'd sort of stopped the official interview, which I wanted to include. And there was just no seamless way to drop it in. So we're dropping it in here. Enjoy. I guess what I was going to say is initially, thank you for having me. And it's an honor to be here. And it's also an honor to be the first woman guest on your show. Yes, you are the first woman guest. And Jacqueline has really wanted me to get women guests. And I've been thinking about it Michelle, since you and I had this conversation, I've been thinking about it in the context of Jacqueline saying, you need more women on the show. The thing we forget, because we women professionals, we just get out in the world, we do the job. And if you really thought about the fact that you're dancing backwards in high heels all the time, that's no way to operate. But business is, in fact, as a culture, we were talking about the culture of BPM, you know, um, which is entrepreneurship. The the gigantic business culture that was formulated through a historical accident is it's a it's a it's a boys club. It's changing. But it is changing. And you're right. I think about my so the accounting profession in general, still very much male dominated. So I think it's still true that more women are entering the profession. But if you look at the leadership, so of the top 100 CPA firms in the nation, I think 12 of them have female CEOs. So while the total numbers indicate that the profession is changing, we're still not completely there yet on the leadership side. I think BPM is very advanced in it relative to some of our peers. And we have a number of diversity initiatives. I was really involved years ago in the formation of our women's initiative in the firm. And we now have a really broad overall diversity initiative that extends beyond just women. But but I think, so the profession and then also the wine industry is also very male dominated, right? Sure. Yeah. So it's, I don't think about it now as much as I used to, only because I feel as a partner in a CPA firm and as an industry leader, I feel like it's a little bit easier, but I was thinking about when you and I met at the Wine Industry Financial Symposium, I think it was one of the comments, I think you were on a panel, an M&A panel oh, okay. with some of the other industry experts. And one of the one of the comments was, we need to get more women on these panels 
at this conference, right? Because we would Mm -hmm. see, and you were up there on one of the panels. And I think I came up to you and said, Oh, it's so great. I'm so glad you did that. It's great to see you up there. And then we just made that connection. um, Yeah, and alignment. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I don't know where I was going with that. But (laughs) other than girl power. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I hope that we will all continue to do better at promoting one another. There's the old boys network, we really ought to have an old girls network. And I older. Yeah. Yeah, it's I think it's a lot about finding people that you connect with and have things in common with. And that really helps cultivate a relationship. When you and I laughed over, oh, it's nice to see a woman up there on that panel. I think we made a great connection. Yeah. And thought, oh, yeah, this is a relationship that I should probably cultivate a little bit because we probably have more in common than just that we're women. And then it turns out that we have very similar we're both sort of accounting finance people we both we have some mutual opportunities and things like that yeah and i will give you a shout out as a business developer which is part we didn't really touch on that that yet but that is i think you alluded to the fact as a practice manager a partner in a firm going out and get the business is really part of the job and it uh, is yeah and i can count on the fingers of one hand oh actually on this finger the number of people who've reached out to me (laughs) And asked to get together from the CPA, CPAs wanting to talk to me as a fellow professional. It, you did it. Excellent. Yeah, you're it. Let's do it again. And therefore, (laughs) you're my first female interview on my little podcast. Thank you. (laughs) All right. Well. Okay. Are you happy, Jacqueline? Yeah, I'm so happy to have our first woman interview. This is so exciting. Yeah, I think it was hard to find the perfect person. So maybe Michelle hit that bill for us. So. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> well, anyway, thank you. Yeah, no, we yeah. appreciate it. Enjoy your lunch. Hi, Small Fortune listeners. If you found this episode enjoyable, we'd really love to have you as a follower. And we're on almost all of your favorite podcast platforms. So if you could take a moment and subscribe or follow, we'd really appreciate it. Also, if you have any questions for Carol, please email us at smallfortunepodcast at gmail.com. Thanks. Oh, completely. Okay. Got it. Not only do I edit it, but if sometimes like I'll just flub what I wanted to say and I'll just stop. And then I'll start again. Oh, good. Okay. And then I'll edit <laughs> that out. And so you could do that too. Oh, oh good. Let me put my camera on, although it's going to be pretty scary. So it's, um, not a live, it's not a live stream. So that's good. <laughs> oh, hell no. Oh, look at this. Oh, I got to turn that light off. So uh, actually, this is probably my best look right now. No, it's not a live stream. It's fully edited. Yeah. You can ask us to strike anything. Good. Okay. And yeah, yeah.